Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Welcome to the final one of the season. This episode is sponsored by my course, How to Get Started Being Freelance. If you need to figure out how to get started being freelance, I imagine it would be for you. Check it out at beingfreelance.com. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For illustrator and animator, Lo Harris. The way that I kind of prepare myself for my freelance career is that I kind of took inventory of like what are the things that make me anxious and what are the risks associated with it and what can I do to kind of plan for those risks. There are some months where I'll get paid literally 40 grand and then the next month I'll get paid $498. With money it's like you know They're not personally motivated to make sure you get paid on time. You know, you're personally motivated. So you have to be your best advocate. I mean, obviously still be professional, but you can't be afraid to come with your facts and step on a couple of toes if they need some stomping, you know. So there's Lo, her story coming up in a moment. I can't tell you enough how much I loved Lo's website the first time I saw it and to be fair the second and the third and the fourth you've got to check it out Uh, once you've heard this episode go to beingfreelance.com for each episode for each guest there is always a transcript highlights quotes and of course links through so you can check them out so yeah please do go check out Lowe's website because it is utterly wonderful It's just such a joyous website and it really sums her up and uh, her story coming up very soon indeed. And it's funny, you know, we've had a vast range of experiences in this season and some people like, you know, Claire and Wayne over the last couple of weeks have been freelance for quite a number of years now, whereas Lowe is really, relatively speaking, right at the start of her freelance journey. But it felt like such a cool story as to how she got started, but I really wanted to hear how that came about and how she's finding it. If you're in a similar position to Lovo, like in the first year or less of being freelance, then please do check out the Being Freelance course. It's called How to Get Started Being Freelance. There's a link at beingfreelance.com. We cover everything you need to basically not have to spend your whole life either Googling answers or making mistakes and then wishing you'd Googled for answers. You can just get it all in the course. It's my experience. It's also the experiences of over 250 guests of the podcast over the years. Take a look, beingfreelance.com. This is the last one of the season. I'll still be hanging out in the community. You're not alone being freelance. Come join us, beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's crack on, shall we? Head to Brooklyn, New York, and chat to illustrator and animator Lo Harris. Hey, Lo! Hello! As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance yeah it was definitely um it was a situation where the opportunity and the preparation just met each other in the best place possible um so I have uh, I'm 20 25 oh my goodness I'm 25 I'm about to turn 26 so sometimes I forget how old I am (laughs) Uh, I'm 25 and I for most of college, throughout college, after college, have been working in the journalism space, in digital journalism. I've had internships at the New York Times as like a motion design uh, intern, worked at other companies. And most recently, right before I went freelance, I was working full time at NBC News during one of the most traumatic news years possible, (laughs) which was 2020. And During that time, you know, I was doing my thing. I mean, it was a very specific sort of job because, you know, we had to kind of have these design sensibilities. I was working with this team of very talented animators and we were 
designing things um, very, very, very quickly based on the news. And that was a bit of a stressful job. Um, But during that time, I also sort of decided that I wanted to make an art Instagram to sort of explore my creative style because I always loved to draw digitally specifically when I was in middle school. I remember when I bought my first Wacom tablet and I used to try to draw with my mouse. I mean, digital like layers, like I, I really figured that stuff out when I was younger. And uh, I looked at the iPad because my one of my coworkers had one and I, I looked at her iPad and I was like, man, if I had access to this tool when I was in middle school, I wonder where my work would have gone. So that was enough motivation for me to sort of embark on this personal illustration journey to kind of figure out like what my style is, what I like. And it it almost felt like an expedited process for me because I already had those uh, client face and design sensibilities uh, through my work in news, but then kind of taking my own twist on it and learning how to let go and be a bit freer and be myself was really the challenge for me more so than the technical aspects of what looked good and what I could do. So I ended up making my art Instagram, having fun with it. And uh, during, you know, the summer of 2020 um, and George Floyd and everything, that was kind of the one outlet I had to kind of express how I felt as a Black woman, um, you know, because working in the newsroom, we were pretty much discouraged from having an opinion, even though personally, I don't think that news is objective, despite you know, uh, what they teach us in school. And I do think that there's room for your identity. And really the key word is transparency over objectivity. And I, you know, just felt like my voice was just hidden, you know what I mean? Under all of the, all of these things. And I just felt very lost in that newsroom space. And, you know, drawing was that outlet for me and people really resonated with the work that I was putting out uh, so much so that I ended up overnight amassing 20,000 followers on my Instagram. And it was very scary. And I called my parents and I said, I'm turning off my phone <laughs> for a little bit because it won't stop moving. I couldn't get any sleep. It just kept vibrating. And that was kind of the birth of the Low Harris art page, the Low Harris persona. And it was kind of cool because I, I just felt like, you know, brands started to approach me and, you know, they were essentially paying me to be myself and to say it with my chest, to really say what I mean and mean what I say. And I thought that was such a rare opportunity. And, you know, at first I was kind of like, you know, playing it safe. I didn't want to quit my job. Actually, I kind of hoped that I get fired first so that the universe (laughs) could make a decision for me. Um, But, you know, I, you know, eventually when it got to the point where I was able to pay off my student loans using art and there was just this incongruency in how I was being treated in the workplace versus outside of the workplace. Like, you know, at work, it was just like, oh, yeah, you know whatever. It's just Lauren. But like when I was low Harris, it was like people really sort of paid me respect and it was just like so nice. So um, once I paid off those loans, I was like, I think that I can take the risk. I owe, I owe it to myself to take a risk. I've paid my debts, you know, I owe it to myself to take this risk and to see if I can keep this going. And even so, even if, you know, I have to go back to working a nine to five, I'm sure that I can get a much better position than the one that I had. So, <laughs> Wow. Oh, man, I love this. Okay. Uh, the few things I want to ask, though, like, so when you decided to start on Instagram, like share, sharing your work, like, was it like a daily thing? Like, what, what was the sort, sort of ri- rhythm involved? And how were you sharing it? 
I, I was very uh, uh, tongue in cheek, you know, like sometimes I'll just be hanging out and it's like 2 a.m. And then I'm like, I feel inspired. And then I'll draw something and then I'll vomit it out into the universe immediately <laughs> after with no regards to algorithms. I still don't even fall. I have no faith in the Instagram algorithm personally, because like it just does not serve artists, especially. And you know, darned if I do, darned if I don't, you know, so I just post whenever I want to. I, I, you know, I just post what I want whenever I want to at this point, because at this point, I'm like, I'm not growing through playing with the algorithm. I'm growing through, you know, getting cool projects. But actually, there was one project that I did that people really latched onto when they started trying to introducing themselves to my work is I challenged myself during February to do uh, what I call 29 Queens. It was a leap year. And basically every day of February, I would draw uh, a different Black woman, you know what I mean, from largely U.S. history, really, um, in celebration of Black History Month. And so I draw, you know, just different people like a Grace Jones or Maxine Waters, you know what I mean? And, And people, you know, I just do my little hashtag 29 Queens. And like, that was like my first sort of quote unquote project where I was challenging myself to post consistently every day for a month. And even though at the time, those pictures weren't getting a lot of traction as I was posting them. I think that when uh, people finally latched on to my work, that was a springboard for how they sort of tried to wrap their heads around what I do and who I am. So it was a very bespoke personal project. So that was like the only time where I posted super often. And so in general, you weren't like trying to, I don't know, play the game as it were with, with tags it it was just that certain things got picked up and then they got shared and it took off. Yes, that's that's kind of how, you know, I tried a little bit, but I, I'm just not like just like me and networking in person. I, I'm such a bad schmooze. <laughs> like, like I, I'll sit there and like I'll, I'm the kind of person who I'll meet a stranger and I'll just like have an earnest conversation with them about life. And then I never see them again, you know, but I'm so bad at like networking conversation uh, in person. But yeah, I mean, I didn't really go in with the intention of like, you know, oh, tagging and Instagram growth. Like I didn't approach it that way. Initially, it was just a way for me to document my progress, really. And to give yourself an outlet that was more you than the stuff you were creating at work. Yes, absolutely. So what then happened? Like when the first potential client reached out to you and offered you a commission, did you know what the hell you were doing? I, I, I felt like equipped, actually. I felt like, uh, you know how, you know, when people have babies, they want to put them in swim school immediately because <laughs> while they're a baby, they have no fear and they kind of already have the chops from, you know, leeching off of their moms for months and, um, you know, so they can swim. So I almost felt like a baby that was like tossed into the water and I still had the swimming gene in me. And I was able to just like kind of paddle my way through because when I think about like the... um you know, just, I already had like that client face. Like I knew how to work with producers and I knew how to work relatively quickly. I think I'm one of the faster working, you know, artists. I know some artists take a little bit of time and more power to them. You know what I mean? I just, for me, because of the way that like, I kind of was raised in the industry. I like, I look for efficiency. I look, I try to be as efficient as possible. Um, So I just felt extremely equipped for the kinds of projects that were coming my way, which it was like a high stakes, like, Amazon, but we need it done in two days and we'll pay you this much and you need to solve this design problem. And I was all over it. Like, I was like, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was like, I was like, I mean, I was definitely working double time. Like I was putting in 
a lot of hours. But the thing is, like it, it was like it was like a time like, and I do value rest, and I don't think that you know a person's life should always be like that. I think there are times and places for that quote unquote hustle. Typically, I don't like hustle culture. Um, but there are times and places for that when you kind of know that you're investing in a very particular, you're setting yourself up for something very specific and you're, you should allow yourself to, you know, put as much time into whatever you want to put in it into. But for me, I really just, I buckled down and I would get these kinds of projects and they really lit themselves to like, you know, kind of the efficiency that I learned how to work in journalism. Mm. And, you know, yes, I put in extra hours, but where was I going? We were in a pandemic. I had nowhere to be. <laughs> Like, so I was just, I just do my thing and then I'll roll up to work and then put in my hours there and then 6 PM hits. And then I'm whacking away on something for a big brand. And then I get a big check and then I'm like, great, I can sleep at night. <laughs> wow. That, so was Amazon your first client? It was either Amazon or Cosmopolitan. They kind of, they, they were like both around the same, like, and they, it was like, it was like they slid into my DMs wow. <laughs> and I was like, hello. <laughs> That's so cool. Like, honestly, Fo, what did you think? You said about like the baby into the water. Did it just seem like, oh yeah, okay. This is perfectly natural. This is cool. Uh, I felt um, like a an imposter, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm like, huh? What do you mean? Like, and every time I wanted to say no to something, I have it programmed. I've reprogrammed myself where every time I want to say no to something, I like try to find five reasons to say yes. <laughs> and if I can't find, you know, any reasons to say yes, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. But you know, intimidation is not a valid reason for me. I've had to kind of teach myself because like I, I, you know, people will suggest like, oh, you should do this. You could do that. And I would always be the first one to shoot myself down and be like, oh, no, that's too big. Like, no, they don't know. Like, you know, I can't, you know, whatever. I'm not the person, you know, and it's like, no, like that's not a valid reason. That's just a sign that I need to like go for it um, and have the audacity to go for it. Um, but I was, I was terrified, like, and I didn't want to let anyone down. I didn't want to say no. Like I, I wanted to like, you know, start building relationships with different clients. And I was lucky in that, like, you know, my family, like is probably the most supportive family you could have if you're a creative person. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'd never felt pressure, you know, growing up to like do something like be doctor, be lawyer, be teacher. Like I think my, and already I was a very type A child so my parents kind of had faith that I would be fine regardless but and it's not even like like you know what I mean it's not even like I had a financial safety net with my parents like I I stopped asking my parents for money you know what I mean like in college you know what I mean like I just wasn't you know what I mean because what could they give me you know but you know my family was just really good at being supportive and like one of my uncles like you know has like a good business sensibility and he would like help me figure out how to negotiate and like you know he was so he was such a big help in like really figuring out my prices because i think that if i didn't have that support and guidance from something like an amazon project you know i'd probably look at everything and be like uh a thousand dollars versus like twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars, and like once I had like that sort of confidence to ask for you know those amounts of money in certain situations, it was like oh okay, like you know what I mean. This can be a sustainable thing for me. Mm. Um, so it was just like having that support and like having people in my corner who could kind of say like this is what it is. You know what I mean? That was really helpful. Can you remember like what? your uncle said to you like what what his key nuggets would have been 
he didn't, it wasn't necessarily he had like, you know, certain sayings, but I would consult him like in the beginning, anytime someone approached me, I'm like, Uncle Rod, what, like, what should I, what should I be asking for? And, you know, he, you know, he was the one who really taught me, okay, like, here are the main things to really think about when you are trying to price yourself. You need to think about licensing. You need to think about uh, turnaround time. You need to think about uh, the rights and everything. Well, I guess that goes into licensing. Really, things really came down to how big are you as a client? Like, how big of a company are you? Um, what are the licensing? Because if something is in in perpetuity, that's a whole other ball game than, you know, like a one-year license. You know what I mean? And then if you're a huge company asking me for something in perpetuity over like a two-day timeline, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So um, the way that I kind of like add up, you know, how I do my projects, I mean, now I kind of have a, like a working range that I've kind of developed for myself. If I like, oh, like this is like a smaller company or, oh, this is like a larger company and here's how much it is per picture. Um, that's how I kind of work. But, you know, like keeping those things in mind, like, I mean, as an artist, especially, we don't think about our contracts and we don't think about licensing a lot. I think a lot of artists are a little bit scared of the contracts and the, um, and the idea that, oh, like, you know, like, what is a license? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, they just want to create. And I think that it's really important for artists to get their hands dirty. And I think that, you know, they also rely maybe a bit too much on agents. Cause I, what, what I found is like, sometimes agents don't really, uh, work as hard for you as you could work for yourself. You know what I mean? Cause they have so many other interests. Um, and also some of the things that like they're looking at are things that you could be looking at yourself with your own two eyes. And it's better that you have that knowledge, you know, to negotiate for yourself. When's Uncle Rod's book coming out? It sounds like I could do with it. <laughs> oh, no, that he, he, nah, he's, you know, I don't know. I should ask him. I should, I should bully him into writing a book. I don't think he would. I think he'd really just bully me right back. But that's it. Like that is, I mean, what killer advice to get and to have somebody you know in your corner that way did did you know other freelancers as as you sort of went into this i so my perception of other freelancers so i'm in brooklyn and when i got to college i would intern at these different places and my exposure to freelancers are people who were like video editors working in news who just like be at the table for a few months and then jump to another company like i was very i was very attuned to the world of permalancers who literally just like would come into a company and sit inside of the company and then leave like three to six months later. And I had never really met anyone who was working from home as their own. It's weird because like they technically, you know, you are your own boss if you're a freelancer period. But I think it's an interesting difference between like people who like um, go in and work anonymously in a company as a mm. freelancer, like not necessarily as themselves, but like, it's like, you're a part of the team for a few months on a contract. And then you do another contract versus like, I'm a name brand, you know, like this is my business. So I didn't know a lot of people in that, that latter category, but I knew a lot of people who were in that former category. Cause like, you know, in journalism and in video production, there's like so many contracts floating around and it's such a small business. So people really float in and out of it. So that was the extent to what I knew about freelancers. And I was always averse to that because I, I am a stability queen. Like I love stability. <laughs> um, and I was just like, man, I don't know like how y'all do it, you know, running around Bushwick with your mullets and your contracts. Like <laughs> I just like, it couldn't be me. 
<laughs> but I respect it. But yeah, that, that was like, that was what I knew of freelancing at that time. And I, as I've kind of fallen into defining it for myself, like I, you know, obviously my perspective has just changed and it's not nearly as scary as I thought it was. And it's kind of shown me that there's always, it, it, it's made me feel a lot more resourceful um, because like, even if I feel like something's a problem, it's really all in my hands. And there are many ways where I can address my problem versus if I were just kind of like, you know, like my mindset when I was in my nine to five was like, oh, if I get fired, that's the end of my world. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like my fate is in the hands of HR departments and, and resume systems, hopefully picking up my the words in my resume. Like I just, you know, I feel a bit more out of control. So you feel more in control now? I feel way more in control now. The way that I kind of prepared myself for my freelance career is that I kind of took inventory of like, what are the things that make me anxious and what are the risks associated with it? And what can I do to kind of plan for those risks? So one thing that I was worried about was inconsistent access to money. So if I know that that's something that makes me anxious and I want to avoid those feelings of anxiety, what is something that I can do for myself tomorrow that will set me up so that I have options if I'm ever in that situation? One of those things was paying off my credit cards, getting my credit score up and actually applying to like a like, you know, multiple like high capacity credit cards so that I know that if push comes to shove, like I have ways to kind of spread my money out and sort of manage my money in different ways. So I like do a lot of things off of credit cards and then I like pay those credit cards off, you know what I mean? Versus going straight into my debit account and kind of being out of money and then forced to use a credit card, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, different financial strategies and you know what I mean? Just different things that I can do to be like, okay, like let me make sure because like there are some months where I'll get paid literally 40 grand and then the next month I'll get paid like one grand or $498. I'm like looking at my spreadsheet. And, you know, it's like on those months where I'm getting paid $400, like, obviously, I don't want I don't want to have that month. But you know, money's not you know what I mean, money's not coming in, you sometimes you have to chase checks for a really long time. I had one client, I chased a check from them, and they were a large client, I chased a check from them for four months, almost half a year, you know, chasing a what is in in retrospect a menial amount of money but it means the world when you're like a person just trying to you know live Mm -hmm. your life but it's just like you know having access to like you know having like a good a good source of credit having like a financial advisor having like a robust savings plan like i have a specific spreadsheet dedicated to whenever i get paid i like put i have like a spreadsheet where i can alter the percentages and put them into each of these different buckets based on my savings goals and how i want to manage my life whether it's saving for a home saving for retirement you know saving for my financial advisory you know my emergency savings my rent you know what i mean my bill payments i even have a little thing called the bougie fund which is dedicated to things i want but don't need <laughs> travel is a priority for me so i have a little travel fund and I disperse my money that way. And I alter the percentages based on what my savings goals are at a given time. Nice. And that helps me feel sane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm. it, it helps me feel like I'm not trying to, it's like I'm working with what I have versus trying to push myself into making a certain amount of money to feel okay. Like I think my motto before was, oh, if I could just make this much money a month, I'll be okay. But that's kind of a stressful way for me to approach it. So instead, you know, I would rather manage what I actually have coming in and like put those in those different buckets. Yeah. In respect to that particular client who 
you were struggling to get the money out of. How did you chase down that payment out of interest? So I sent like a series of emails. It's like, hey, hey, what's going on? Hey. And I would literally email them once a week, um, every week after it was three months. Like, like I think so it's it was four months behind the day that I that they said they were supposed to give it to me. So it wasn't like I did it and I didn't get paid till four months later. It was like I did it like three months before that. And then that time came. And then four months after that time, I got paid. <laughs> so really, I waited like seven months for this money. <laughs> wow. But I like would send emails. I'm like, hello, hello. And then finally, you know, like I have a little spice in me. I have a little kick, you know, I was professional, but I just kind of sent like an email. It was like, it was like through a third, like, so the way that it works with a lot of uh, larger, larger companies is they don't commission you directly. A lot of the times, like a lot of the times they'll work with like a third party company to kind of manage the project. And that's who you're communicating with. And originally, you know, it was like art for this movie that was with one major production. Um, and then they sold the movie to a streaming service. And then that streaming service hired this third party company to manage that project with these artists. And the difference in like just the experience working with the last people directly versus this third party company was just so frustrating because I felt like I was like a weird number. I had to like make an account in order to submit my art to them instead of just communicating with the producer directly. Mm. It was like, it felt like uh, all of their emails to me were like copy and paste, like with inserting my name inside of it instead of directly engaging with me. And, you know, it, so it was really hard to get in contact with a person to speak personally when I was trying to chase my money. So I would literally, I, I emailed the producer, like, I emailed, you know, any of the accounts team. And I just was consistent with it until I sent an email just being like, hey, like, you know, I understand, you know, with COVID things are happening, but this is unacceptable. I've never had a client big or small, you know, stiff me like this, like, you know, essentially. Um, and I'm very much losing trust in, in your company and your business practice. Um, and this isn't acceptable. And then they just silently sent me my money. No apologies, just cash, which is honestly fine. Like, <laughs> I don't need any apologies. Uh, you know, so it's just about being persistent. I mean, obviously still be professional, but you can't be afraid to come with your facts and step on a couple of toes if they need some stomping, you know, because <laughs> um, like with money, it's like, you know, they're not they're not personally motivated to make sure you get paid on time. You know, you're personally motivated. So, mm. you know, you have to be your best advocate. You are your best advocate. Yeah. Just to rewind in your story then. So you got your first couple of clients slide into your DMs. What happened after that? Is is that the way it's continued work coming your way or have has, has it changed? I've been tremendously lucky in that I feel like I've gotten the right opportunities to come into my DMs, which then got me larger exposure to other companies, which then slide into the DMs. Now they know to come, you know, to my email, you know what I mean? And I have like a bespoke portfolio where it's like, you can find me. And also LinkedIn is, is it LinkedIn. If you're creative, you need to, you need to be on LinkedIn. That's another thing. Um, but yeah, I've been lucky in that like a lot of clients have found my work through Instagram. Like a lot of the right people follow me on Instagram. Like I think that, like I might not have the the largest following ever, but a lot of my fans are people who work at specific companies who who take note of my work and want to use me in other things. So a lot of people still, you know, I always ask my clients, how did you find out about me? And a lot of them still say, oh, we found out about you 
through Instagram, you know what I mean? And of course, you know, when you're doing all these social media based Instagram campaigns with like these different larger platforms, it's a lot easier for people to find you that way. Um, so I've been fortunate enough that that's pretty much like how a lot of my clients find me. Either they've seen my work, they're familiar with my work, word of mouth, uh, LinkedIn, you know what I mean? Cause I already have a, like a pretty interesting and robust network and it's extremely easy for your, you know, if you have a good network for your stuff to go viral on LinkedIn, you know what I mean? Cause you, you, your friends work at all these different places and their friends, you know, will see that they mm. interacted with that and they work at all these different places. And then, you know, suddenly you have like, you know, a sports team that's like, Hey, you know, this is a little bit different, you know, your art style is different, but we want to do something with it. You know what I mean? Someone that I would have never thought to go to that sports team, you know what I mean? But you know, they, you know, it's just, they found my work and it's kind of like, oh, okay, this is, this is cool. This is cool. Yeah. It's interesting actually, because I think perhaps a lot of, uh, illustrators or motion designers or or whoever, like they don't necessarily think of LinkedIn, but obviously it's full of people hiring people, but also it means your work probably really stands out in amongst a load of text posts, for example. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you think about it, like, no, like if, if all of us aren't on the LinkedIn wave, that means that the few of us who are on the LinkedIn wave definitely stand out. You know, when everyone else is like, oh, personal news, like, I just, you know, got a cat. You know what I mean? You're like, here's a here's a dope, you know, photo series, like, here's like a really cool animation. Here's like a really cool illustration or even just doing like, you know, like, oh, portfolio Tuesdays. Like, you know, I recently made a post where it's like, hey, like I'm Lo Harris. This is what I focus on. I've worked with clients in these industries and I'm really explicit because I want other people in those industries to be like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Mm. And then here's like a bunch of pictures of my work. Want to work with me? Head over to loharris.com very direct. And then 16,000 people will see it. And then 300 people will like it. And then, you know, you know, people will start connecting with you from companies, you know what I mean? That you may actually might not have even thought, oh, I actually, that would be a good fit, but I didn't even think of this brand. Let's talk about lowharris.com then, because when you started all of this, you did, it sounds like you didn't have your own website. It was, you know, you like you were working in house and you started sharing your work on Instagram. Is that right? So I did have a website. However, it was... So I went to journalism school. And right and right now in J school education, there's like this trend of like teaching students how to be MMJs or multimedia journalists. And it's this almost like frantic pressure. It creates this frantic pressure for students to be a jack of all trades and in, in, in a bunch of different things. So like, oh, I can do video packages and I can do podcasting and I can code some CSS and I can, you know what I mean? And they're just trying to, and basically like these students are running around with like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to like get these MMJ jobs that will pay them nothing and make them do so much work. And essentially I was kind of in that camp where it, it for me, it created this portfolio of like, piecemeal like I had good clips like I would have clips from the New York Times clips from this clips from that but they didn't tell a story and they didn't make sense they were just a collection of things that I had done not necessarily a reflection of the things I wanted to be doing and so yeah I had a website you know it was you know I did my thing it was pretty generic it was it was efficient but it was like more generic and it had just had all this stuff on it 
Um, but it didn't really reflect Low Harris. It was not reflective. I didn't even want people to look at that website because I was like, oh, I have an opportunity to really tell people what they need to be hiring me for and to really choose my projects. And the last thing I want is for someone to like look at my website and see a project where I kind of took that project because I felt like I needed to for money or I could do this. I don't want to, but I could do this and then continue to replicate, you know, those mm. Uh, jobs with me. I didn't want to replicate that. So it was incredibly important for me to get a portfolio together that not only demonstrated the work that I wanted to be doing, but also created an immersive space for it that was bespoke to my personality. I wanted to show personality and I wanted to show what my work could be. So, you know, the, my newest website, which, you know, shout out to my friend Radine Hansen, um, who's an art director, but also creates websites. Radine is, you know, she was really helpful and just like, it was nice talking to her and having someone on my side to do the website. Like, yeah, like I could have, you know, put something together on Squarespace, but it just wasn't the same. You know, it was really great having another person who was invested in that process so that I could focus on my day-to-day work and not feel like I have to rush through a new portfolio website. So it, it was just like a really great investment for me. You're right, it is an investment. But sometimes, especially when we're starting out, it can feel tough to, you know, hand over our money, frankly. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. w- when you could build your own Squarespace website. But what you've ended up with is something which is so extraordinarily you. Yes. Yeah, and, and no, I, I completely, yeah, like, I completely understand that, like, paying pay, paying for things when you're so used to being a MacGyver especially and kind of like, you know, like getting your stuff together, like scrapping your own stuff together. It's like so difficult because you're like, oh, man. <laughs> but also it's it's weirdly kind of liberating because I'm I'm so used to just doing everything by myself and not leaning on other people and not like, I don't know, getting a perf- like, you know what I mean? I'm so used to just doing everything myself that I, I spend a lot of time doing things that I don't care about. Like I used to, I used to spend a lot of times doing things that I really don't care about. And it was just noise and it really distracted from my ability to make the best con to do one thing incredibly well to make sure the foundation is there. Like, and not that like, you know, I'm, I'm not a prominent YouTuber or anything, but I know that a lot of YouTubers, you know, who are prominent YouTubers, like will just have hire someone to edit their YouTube videos for them. So they can really focus on getting in front of that camera, doing their thing, getting that, producing that content and not have to worry about, you know, the editing process and like slowing down, you know what I mean? And they can get so much work done um, prepared ahead of time because they sort of distributed the work in a way so that they could really focus on the parts of the process that have the most impact for them. So I, I kind of understand, you know, both sides of it. Um, and it's been an interesting thing for me to do because I, I'm, I just, I hate paying money for things, but it was just like so good, you know what I mean? To be able to just like throw it onto someone else and to be able to focus on high level story stuff instead of like spending three days getting frustrated over a line of code and then just giving up because I want to be done and need to just be as efficient as possible. Has it made a difference to your business, do you think, having that website? I think it has. First, I think that people still know me a lot from Instagram. However, I think that lowharris.com provides a very great... uh, 
it's almost like a like if I'm talking to like one time I was talking to an art director and they were kind of like looking at my old website and they're like, Oh yeah. Like, I think, you know, you could do this or this or this or this. And I was like, Oh, um, actually, um, instead of, you know, when you credit me, instead of linking to my old website, can you link to this website? And then he looked at the new website and was like, Oh, wow. This makes me see your work in a whole other, you know, now I see so much other possibilities for your work. Like it puts people in the headspace, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To kind of think bigger, plan for even bigger things, like with the work, like you can just see so much more potential based on the way that you present your work. Like when you just have your work on just like this white screen, it feels almost like contained and like, it's just like a, it's like a piece of something. It's just a thing versus if the way that I chose to kind of display my work and these like overlapping sort of like images and these like full bleed colors and these waves and you know what I mean these stars and planets like I want people to feel like they're stepping into an experience a bit you know what I mean an efficient experience like not too many bells and whistles but I want people to feel like they are drowning in my essence in like the most non-violent way possible so <laughs> so that's what I want <laughs> No, you're right. It's love, you know. As you scroll down and you see the the gifts, for example, alongside more static illustrations, and you think, yeah, I I can see how an art director or you know somebody else could think I could. I, that's what I want for my site. Um, yeah, it does. It does show differently. Now, you also so you have a work section and you have a play. Now, obviously, work is showing off examples for clients that you've done. The play section is that. And a continuation of, of the sort of self-initiated stuff that you were talking about for Instagram. Yeah, the play section is really just stuff that I've made on my own time that slaps. Like, literally, it's just stuff where I'm like, man, that was good. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> um Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, you know, like a lot of my gifts, you know, live there. A lot of my, you know, my my gifts that maybe have they, maybe they did go viral on Instagram or whatever. Just like a lot of the things that, because with clients, it's like, you know, I'm, I've been lucky in that I have for the most part dealt with clients who really gave me a lot of creative control, but there are like, sometimes you get clients where what they're looking for is kind of limited and maybe what you create isn't something that you would naturally, uh, want to put you know what I mean or like Mm. want to like make yourself and you're just kind of like indifferent towards it like it it checks all the boxes in terms of quality but it's just like I'm like whatever you know but it's so it's nice to have it's nice to you know make space for things where it's like uh this came from my own brain like one of my favorite things that I've ever made is like the slicing cucumbers animation yeah I love that so much (laughs) It was so fun for me to make it. Was, and also it was fun because I think that was the first time I had done something that was like uh pretty seamlessly continuous. And it was such a, you know, I was just, you know, it was so fun thinking about how I was going to like put together the parts to do the cucumber and like, you know what I mean? Like that was just so much fun for me. And it was very, it's just a very pleasing anime. I could look at that animation forever. Oh my God. So it's so hypnotic. <laughs> like I, I could look, I'm just like, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I love yeah, life. Whenever I, I look at that animation, it was fun for me to make though. 
I feel like you could create your, you know, like the Headspace app for meditation. It could just be full of of loops you've made like that, where I could just yeah. happily just sit and stare and stare. It is just like food cooking or cleaning. Yeah, you'll have to go to beingfreelance.com, of course, for all of our guests. There's always links through so that you can see exactly um, what, what we're talking about. But so you keep work and play on your website. But how about work and play for you in life? Like, how, how are you good at? This this is the best way I've ever phrased this question. I'm very proud of it, though. How how good are you, like, with work-life balance? It's a very convoluted Mm. way of getting there. No, no, I I respect it. (laughs) I'm here for the journey. Um, So work-life balance is something that I have been actively trying to improve on since I left NBC News. I genuinely felt like I had, I was, I had an inability to relax. Like there would be a time, there would be times where I literally would have nothing to do work-wise. And I'm like, there clearly is something I need to be doing. And then I'll just get up at 1am and start working. Like, and like, I, you know, transitioning into this kind of work, I had to kind of teach myself that it is not normal for me to constantly be drowning in client emails and stuff. Because when I first started, I was working a full-time job and I was drowning every single day. Some wild big client would email me and I'd be like, yes, yes, yes to everything. And I constantly be like everything. I had something to do. I'd be boom, 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 like working, working, working every single day, like actively working every single day. And then as I got settled into my freelance career, I started to notice that oh, I'm not as pressed as I used to be, but I think that's a bad thing because I think that means that people don't want to work with me anymore and I'm not getting work. And then as I was like, you know, looking at my numbers, I'm like, no, I'm getting work. I'm still getting paid. I'm just not spiraling. What like, and and then I'm like, do I like spiraling? Like, what's up with that? That's not normal. I I don't want that. And so I've had to like actively... Like right now, I'm trying to challenge myself in this season of my life to start leaving my apartment more to go sit in a cafe and like marinate and, you know, do a little bit of work out there, but to really like get out there. And like, I've been trying to be a bit more social. I've been trying to just like get out there and um, spend time with friends. And like normally anytime someone would be like, hey, a social situation is coming up. I'd wince a little bit. Like I'm a social person, but the idea of getting up to go be social stresses me out. So I usually I'd be like, oh, no. But now I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah, let's do this. Let's do that. Like, I feel like I have so much more, so much more to learn about um, just living. And so one recent thing that I did to really hype up the workplay balance, you know, in my own life is I bought a bunch of tickets to different places, you know, over the course of next year and I'm going, you know what I mean? And I have something where I'm like, I'm looking forward to this at the end of this month, I'll be in Mexico. And then in uh, March, I'll be in London. And in uh, May, I'll be in Lisbon and, and, you know, Florence. And these are things that I would have never, ever, 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 ever done, you know, especially when I back when I had to like ask for permission to, you know, even take a vacation, you know, so I'm really right now, like I'm in that season of my life where I am trying to get comfortable with the idea that I don't constantly need to be spiraling um, and working and like having things that I need to be stressed about in order to feel like I'm making progress in my career. 
Um, because what I found is that the things that are supposed to come to me in my career are going to appear when they're supposed to. And the things that come to me and they don't work out, there's probably a good reason why it didn't work out. Like they weren't willing to pay me a reasonable amount of money. So it just, you know, you give and take. Wow. Are you really off to all those places? Yes. <laughs> so good. I like I, I, I'm on my eat, pray, love stuff, you know, like I'm just like, I'm, yeah. I'm ready to live. That's so cool. Yeah. I tell you what, just to go back to your website, Lo, you've, yes. you also have on there uh, shop. So how have you found that as a, another income stream? Oh, you know, honestly, I could be more, I could be more aggressive with it. <laughs> I could be more aggressive with it. I, I really sort of, the shop sort of fell into me because when I started, you know, going viral, a bunch of people kept commenting like, do you have this on Society6? Do you have this on Society6? And then I'd just start uploading things on Society6 really aggressively. And then like, you know, I would make like, you know, $2,000 or something in a month, you know what I mean? For people just buying, 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 buying. And I've been uploading, you know, prints and stuff less aggressively because what I found, at least in my current state, is that I like to have a reservoir of artwork that does not exist as a print because I've realized that there are many times where people want to license my work and not just like, you know, people, but like, you know, I, this hasn't, this hasn't gone to fruition yet, but like, you know, sometimes I may get emails about, Hey, for this show on Netflix, they need to license a piece of art for the, for the uh, background set. And we want to get this one. Or, you know, hey, like we want to exclusively license this piece of work in this art book. And that's literally just easy money. You know what I mean? Where I don't have to make anything new. So like I try not to put everything I've ever made on these print shops because I understand that I'm an artist who doesn't like prints aren't my primary source of income. You know what I mean? My primary source of income are licenses with companies. So I want to like you know, be mindful about what things I'm just putting on those platforms that like, I mean, honestly, I'm not getting as much money through those platforms as I would through like a license, you know, cause you know, they're, you know, they get a significant percent of the profits, you know, for all of the materials and everything, like understandably, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's important, you know, cause like, you know, a company, like, you know, a company, like a big company probably isn't going to want to license and artwork that 2000 people already have a print of, you know what I mean? From your portfolio. Um, and sometimes they might not have the time to even ask you to commission something new. So I just like to keep my options open and kind of like, I'm very selective about certain pieces um, and whether or not they go straight to print. It's almost like straight to straight to DVD VHS, whether or not they go straight to DVD or whether or not they're <laughs> going to have a whole feature length situation opening night <laughs> yeah yeah um just to touch upon one one thing that you hinted about was the level of admin now obviously it was quite a stressful thing when you were also working a full-time job and doing the admin of requests and the business and doing the work but now now you're full-time freelance how are you managing juggling the actual creating and the running the business side of it my business, I would say that my business is pretty, uh, runs pretty light because I mean, what do I really have to worry about? Like, you know, my taxes, uh, documenting my income and sending invoices and negotiations through email. 
I'm a talker, so I already have, you know, the negotiations, the emailing, like I can handle that. The meetings, I can handle that. The taxes, I do like, you know, one of the things that I invested in early on because I was really insecure about what it would mean for me to handle taxes was I got a, I pay for a financial advisor who not only helps me set up my 401k and my IRA and my, you know, budgeting plan, but also connects me with like a tax person who works with me um, throughout the year to pay quarterly taxes Um, I've developed documents for myself to document my payments and my expenses. So literally I have like a handy dandy document that's labeled by the month where I plug in the amount of money I got paid by a client. It auto populates into my yearly income. It auto populates into my monthly income. Same with the expenses. And I'm able to refer back to that to track, you know what I mean? My, my income flow. And then of course I have a simple Google doc for invoices where I, you know, just make a quick invoice, send it over. And I read, I read, I like reading contracts though. Um, I don't mind like reading your contracts. I think that's like one other thing, but I actually like reading the contracts because it makes me feel much more equipped and I feel more comfortable. And how about the actual like day to day or week to week? I don't really have like a, I, I kind of do things as I need it. Like I don't really have like, oh, it, today is admin day. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I, you know, things kind of flow in and, you know, based on how big the client is, like how, what the return is and all of that, you know, like I'll just, you know what I mean? I'll just schedule meetings throughout the week, you know, email people throughout the week and the admin kind of comes as it comes. I think right now I feel like my schedule in general is way more creating heavy than like emailing people and paperwork heavy. I feel like the paperwork and emailing people comes to me like that, you know, but it's like the process of like creating and looking through references and stuff like that takes a bit more of my time. Like right now I'm I'm developing like a, a class, like a digital live class. And like, that's something where it's like, okay, like for the rest of this week, I'm going to be making this slideshow, you know, for this dress rehearsal for this class that I need to have done before Friday. And then, you know, and then sometimes I may have long-term projects. Mm. Now, look, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? These questions always, like this particular one always trip me up because I'm the worst liar ever. And then like, sometimes I'm like, I don't have anything interesting enough that sounds like a lie. And then I'm like, no, that's not true. (laughs) Okay. One fact about me is I have a certificate in marketing. The second fact about me is I have three siblings. And the third fact about me is that I uh, once accidentally interview Penn Badgley from Gossip Girl in an alley and I didn't know who he was <laughs> um, I hope you don't take offence to this but the first two facts are marvellously mundane and then the third one is just so <laughs> out there now does that mean that you've just made up something insane or am I insane? <laughs> like, what well, did that actually happen? So, who who from Gossip Girl? Pin Badgley. He's on you. He's the main guy from you on Netflix. And you interviewed him in an alley. Yes. So I was in college, and I was in Chicago, 
And I was a big, I was big into college radio. And as a part of our, you know, station, I ended up creating, because I was really nervous about being a DJ and sharing my music tastes on air. So I never did, because I don't know, I'm, I have anxiety about like the most ridiculous things. But I did, I was like, I still want to be involved. So I ended up making like a media team. It was just basically me and my friends, we got money for cameras and we go to concerts and we take pictures at concerts and we create like social video content, you know, for our radio station. So we ended up getting tickets to this festival. And one of the bands playing at the festival was this band called Mother, which is actually Penn Badgley's band. And I didn't really know. I don't care about celebrities. I didn't really know who he was. And I think he loved that. Like, And so we randomly we were just like, oh, we need to let's interview the band, you know, for this for our little video about the about the festival. And then they were at their they're at their band van. And then we went up. And we we're like, hello, tell us about yourself. What's your name? And then he was like, my name is Penn Badgley. I was like, OK, cool. Can you spell that? Because we were journalism students and they tell us <laughs> they tell us to ask people to spell everything. And we're just nerds. And then he's like, yeah. And then he spells his name. And then my friend's like, oh, you look like the guy from Gossip Girl. Anyway, how did you like playing at this festival? <laughs> and he was just so, and we looked back at the footage and he was just, and we realized that was him. And he was so tickled by the fact that we were just like, these two black girls, like we walked up, we're like, we don't care who you are. Um, <laughs> we just want to know, like, did you like this festival? Yes or no? We're trying to do our assignment. We understood the assignment. <laughs> okay, goodbye, white man. Goodbye. And then we just walk <laughs> away in the, in, into the night. And he just, I feel like, you know, I feel like he appreciated that. Because I feel like any other person would be like, oh, my God, it's Dan. Or, or whatever. I was going to say, yeah, it was, I was, it was It was Dan, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yes, he was devilishly handsome. <laughs> okay, so I've got to decide. So you got, do you have three siblings or a certificate in marketing. I'm not quite sure where the certificate in marketing would fit into this because you did journalism. You've worked in it like you're, you said that you're 25. So I'm just not sure when you would have had a chance. But maybe the lie here is for actually, I don't know, you're, you're an only child and you don't have any siblings or that you have a ridiculous number like seven. Um, <laughs> it's either none or seven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to say that the Gossip Girl one is true. Yeah, that's very um, true. And the lie... Oh, come on. Surely it's not the... Okay, the lie is that you don't have... No, the lie is that you don't have three siblings. Yes, I only have one. I have one sibling. His name is Kari. He's a cool guy. <laughs> oh, do you know, I should have asked you what your siblings were called and uh, made you come up with two more. <laughs> 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 now look so you've not been freelance for that long really but if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance what would that be follow your own script like really just do what you want to do how you want to do it because at the end of the day none of this matters so you might as well have a good time because I, I put so much like I mean I feel like especially those of us who are like early career coming into our careers at during this time, I feel like we're kind of trained to feel like we need to lay ourselves out on the cross for these companies. And what my experience and what this pandemic, you know, has taught so many people is that you need to take care of yourself first. Work is not your life. It is a fraction. It should be a fraction of your life. 
And even when you're doing something that you love, it's still a job. So it's important, you know, even though I'm like, I can't allow myself to psych myself into thinking, oh, well, I draw for a living. So I should be working harder. I should feel the burn more because like, you know, I have it easy. Like it's a job like any other job. And I deserve a vacation. I deserve to like chill out. I deserve to have a moment because it's work at the end of the day. And my success is only defined by what I set up for myself is not, I don't need to follow someone else's career trajectory in order to feel like I'm doing something or I'm being somebody. Like the amount of times that I feigned interest in certain companies when I was in that nine to five headspace, uh, simply because I knew it was a prestige company to work for, even though I wasn't necessarily engaging with the content on the day to day was simply silly. That's so silly. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, are you, if you're not even passionate about the company, like, you know, you shouldn't feel the need to beat your chest because it's like a prominent company. You know what I mean? Like, it's a job at the end of the day. Lo, it's been so good to talk to you and so good to hear a story coming out of the pandemic. It's so, it's funny. Like, when it all started um, nearly two years ago, it kind of felt like, oh, you know, this might just last a few months. But here we are with, instead of a business being harmed by it but your life coming differently out of it and i love it i'm almost mad that my life uh had to like became this way because a pandemic had to happen <laughs> like i'm like wow like i wasn't gonna I, like why this have to happen for me to do this like do you know though like working in those companies it does sound like it set you up to work in a particular way it gave you a lot of confidence dealing yes. with certain cl- clients and in certain particular it gave you the speed and efficiency to work in a particular yes. way so all of these things happen for a reason don't they exactly i have no regrets about my career no regrets yeah. i'm excited to see how it plays out in the low harris universe as well which is where you must go to uh, there's a link at beingfreelance.com as there are for all of our guests but like I mentioned in particular Lowe's website just absolutely stopped me in my tracks and you need to go check it out so go to beingfreelance.com as soon as you finish listening to this click on the link in the show notes if you've got that open go click also while you're at the website uh, check out the community come join us as freelancers from around the world so you're not alone being freelance uh, and if you're a freelancing parent check out the other podcast that I do for them uh, it is called Doing It For The Kids. It's with Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community. Search for Doing It For The Kids wherever you got this. But for now, Lo, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you so much. All the best with your podcast about being freelance. So there is Lo. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you've enjoyed the whole season. If you want, in fact, it was an illustrator who started this off, wasn't it? Kendall, many moons ago, back in September. Thank you to everybody who's spoken to me for this season. If you've not heard them yet, please do go back, check through your podcast feed, or check through at beingfreelance.com. Being Freelance is made by me, Steve Folland. I'm a freelance podcast and video editor. That's what I do. This is my thing on the side. And if you like what I do with Being Freelance, then you can always support it. Go to beingfreelance.com slash coffee. You can top up my virtual biscuit tin. And of course, do come join us in the Being Freelance community. Don't be alone, Being Freelance. Come find us. And I shall see you for more episodes of this here podcast in the new year. I'm out of here. You have a great week week and winter being freelance take care see you soon